our mission, and we choose to accept it, is zero injuries and zero environmental impact. A healthy workforce and environment is key to our nation's continued success. The Mission Zero podcast is a deep dive with the industry's top experts into the health, safety and environmental aspects of today's workplace. Our mission is to be a platform for new ideas and strategies that, when implemented, will improve our safety, our environment and how we govern out business. We are making the world safer and we're going to have fun doing it. Okay, welcome everybody. Uh, we are having a new episode of the Mission Zero podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Peoples. Uh, today is part five of my human trafficking series and I am incredibly honored today to have Kathy Gibbons. Kathy is a survivor, a public speaker, a fighter. She has, uh, She's out there fighting against human trafficking every day, has founded her own organization, is an incredible advocate for human trafficking survivors and victims. Kathy, thank you so much and welcome. Thank you for having me. I'm excited well, to be here. Yeah, it's been a. It's, we've been trying to get this uh, conversation for a while, and and you're just. I know. I know your schedule is, is about as busy as anybody's could possibly be. But thank you so much, and uh, <clears throat> I'm, I'm very excited to have you on because you know, one thing I noticed about in my previous discussions is that survivors want to help, and so you've helped a lot, and you've uh, you've even got proteges that are now helping, which is amazing, uh, and so. To start off the conversation, you are a survivor yourself, and in, in addition to being a a person who who is absolutely fighting the fight and doing things out there to against this uh, amazing scourge on Earth, is what I call it. Um, could you tell me a little, tell I guess tell the audience a little bit about your history, where you're from, uh, and as much as you want to about your own experience into human trafficking. Yeah, I'm actually, I, I actually laugh when people say, well, where are you from? Because I always have to pause and think about it because I've been in Texas for so long, but I'm actually from Canada. And um, okay. I'm from Canada, but I was raised in a Jamaican household. So like, I always pause like, well, where am I? What am I really? Because <laughs> it's like Canadian, Jamaican, Texan, I'm all things. Um, but I was raised in Canada with uh, an amazing mom. And, you know, when I share my story and my journey, I like to point out to people some vulnerabilities just to just to kind of dismantle some of those misconceptions out there of what trafficking looks like. Um, because trafficking doesn't have a look, right? It doesn't mm -hmm. discriminate. It does it targets everyone. And so for me, telling my background, which I'm glad you asked, is is really important because it does debunk some of those misconceptions. Mm -hmm. I was raised in a single parent household. However, my every memory of my father was absolutely amazing, right? So it wasn't like, you know, when I was younger and he left, it was just like, okay, grownups, I didn't understand what was happening, but grownups go through hard things, but I didn't hate my father or didn't hate my mom. It was just one of those things. And my mom did everything that she could to make sure that me and my siblings were provided for. So in all in all, it was a good home, right? It was a good home. and. Um, there was a point where my mom, you know, I guess because of grown up things and people go through hard things in life, she decided to relocate to Texas. Actually, it was presented as a vacation um, that we were going to go on. 
so, <laughs> very long one. <laughs> so, so um, I tell people all the time, this is the longest summer vacation I've ever been on because here it is. I'm still, I'm, I'm, I'm living in Texas, right? Um, but that's how she presented it. Um, and we were going to go and just, because we had family in Texas and I'm just going to visit, right? Now I know as a grown up, she probably just needed just to get away. <laughs> like, let me just get away for a minute. Um, and she, you know, scoped out some areas and some neighborhoods here. And she was like, okay, this is it. She made her decision. Unfortunately, when she made that decision, unfortunately for me, when she made that decision, it was right about uh, the time where school was about to start. So it was like, oh, yeah, you're just going to stay here with family. I'm going to go back and get all our stuff. Uh, and that to me was like, wait, what? And so it's a, it's a funny story, sort of, but already I've pointed out a few, a few vulnerabilities, mm-hmm. right? Single parent household, um, divorced household, um, single parent, my mom by herself, raising children. And then we make this big move. And this big move happened at a very, you know, pivotal time of my life of my life at 14 years old. So I was I was just like coming into like my teenage years and trying to figure out, okay, what do I want to be? And now there's this big change and now I'm in Texas. And I'm just gonna say, and I say it everywhere, <laughs> the only things that I knew about Texas was like Westerns, right? So like I was devastated. I was frantic. I was like, I refuse to to live in hay houses and ride horses to school. Like, I'm not, like I was like, I was devastated because it was just such a culture shock. That's another vulnerability though. Right? I'm Canadian, raised in a Jamaican household. Now I'm in Texas. I have to learn how to say y'all and all these other terms that I've like <laughs> foreign to me. Um, and then I was the oddball in school too. So I was, um, for, for me, I had like that, an accent and I just, people just knew I didn't belong. So that's another vulnerability, right? So now you see how easily these vulnerabilities stack. And, um, but I mean, I survived high school, you know, thank God. And it was hard because my high school years was kind of just me being a chameleon because I didn't know how to be. I didn't know what this new place was. And so whatever anyone told me that I should be, I did it. And that's typically who traffickers live for, right? So I'm already setting it up for like, okay, um, even though I had a great household, I was still trying to figure out what this new life was about. And um, because of I w- because I was a chameleon in school and a follower, let's just be honest, I was just like this very passive person, um, had a lot of insecurities because I knew that I didn't fit in. I knew I didn't belong. Um, it was just really hard for me. Um, I did go through uh, sexual assault in school and that was buried because I was just like, you know, when you go through something like that, you just bury it and you you blame. We talk about victim blaming and a lot of the victim blaming comes from self-blame because you're you can't trust society um, to understand. Right. Because society tells you that you're the problem. You must have been dressing a certain way. You must have let him in or you must have, you know, like all these things. So again, another vulnerability. So by the time I graduated, I, um, I was pretty secure about my journey, secure, pretty secure about like what I wanted to be, um, what I wanted to do, you know, in certain terms of like, when I grow up, I want to get these degrees and I want to be this and I want to be that. That was pretty lined out, but I was still, you know, battling with a lot of insecurity. 
Um, so first year of college, uh, after high school, and a mutual, a friend of mine, there was this big talent show in town, and she is a singer, and back then was an aspiring singer. So like every artist, if you played an instrument, if you sang, if you rap, whatever you did, um, every artist was at this big talent show because it was like a national scouting thing where they were like, if you win, you're going to get this record label or whatever. Um, so every artist in Houston was there. Every aspiring artist was there. And she went. And I did not because I don't sing. Um, but she came back and she was telling us all about it. And it was so fun. Um, she had so much fun. But the highlight of her experience was that she met this guy band and this guy band she just kept going on and on about this guy band like oh my gosh they were so fun and handsome and like all the things and they extended an invitation for her to invite her friends to come hang out with them to go hang out with them and uh i was one of those friends right so i go and i hang out me and my friends and a lot of people will say, aha, that's when the trafficking happened. But it didn't. Actually, we had a lot of fun. Had a lot of fun skipping school and going to these hang out with these people, right? And that's that's the bad yeah. part. Just be just, you know, being young. Um and it was we laughed and we joked, and this went on for about this went on for months and months um of just hanging out with these these people. And then slowly our crew, like our girl crew, me and my friends started to separate. And it was a clear divide. We were bickering and getting into arguments. And like all of a sudden it was just, you know, me and this person. Um, and the tactic that this person used was creating that divide, right? Um, and extending invitation, solo invitations to me. So it was no longer, hey, girls, come hang out with us. It was like, no, Kathy, I want you to come hang out with me, just you. And the person that was extending that invitation happened to be the leader of this band. So he happened to be the most uh, charismatic. He was the most charming. He played all of the instruments. He had like the best voice. He was the person. And he would say things about my friends, you know, like, oh, they're talking about you. You don't, you're so talented. You don't even need to be with them. And little things that young people, especially young vulnerable people believe. And that's where that separation happens. So when, by the time he was extending invitations, like, yeah, you just come hang out with me. It wasn't even a second thought. It wasn't like how it started where I would pick up the phone and call the girlfriends like, hey, let's go hang out. It was like, okay, I'm going to go because now there's this divide. And that was, that was into, that was like stage, what we call stage three of the grooming process. So I've already went through some of those stages where you, a person befriends you, they alienate you, yeah. and then they isolate you, right? Uh, intoxicate you. So I always tell people that stage of intoxication for me, because I had all these insecurities, that stage of intoxication for me was not drugs and alcohol. That stage of intoxication for me was the sense of belonging and acceptance. And I mm -hmm. craved that so much. And this person knew that I was the weakest link, right? So all my other friends had came from two-parent households. 
all my other parents, all my other friends had like strong voices because they were raised here. They were Texans, right? They knew who they were. They were, they didn't have this identity crisis, not the same one that I was going through. Um, and this person saw that he saw that and he targeted me and the grooming process, what we call the grooming process of him getting to know me. I thought that I was in a relationship. He was definitely grooming. That process lasted a little over a year of him wanting to know everything about me, him wanting to know my favorite color, making me feel, again, feeding that belonging and feeding that um, acceptance, right? Yeah. All, all false, of course. Um, so by the end of that, he laid the plan and he was like, you know, he set it up so beautifully, right? To where I was eating from the palm of his hand, anything that he said, my moral compass was absolutely skewed at this point. So anything that he said, I believed. And at that point he was like, yeah, we're going to go head out to Dallas and we're going to meet some investors because I'm going to start this business and I need you to be a part of the team. And I didn't know anything about business or anything like that, nothing about music. So I was kind of perplexed as to why he was asking me. And then he turned on the charm, right? Oh, because I can't do this life without you. I can't, you know, I need you in my corner. All things that a broken young girl would want to hear. A broken young girl who misses her dad that doesn't even know she misses her dad um, yeah. wants to hear. But he knew it, right? Yeah. So, so my answer was yes. And it was supposed to be like, we're going to go to Dallas for a few months. By this time, I was alien. I was completely isolated, um, not knowing that I was isolated, but I didn't want to be around my, my mom anymore. I didn't want to be around my friends. A lot of people think that isolation means you're locked away somewhere. I was totally around people, but, my, but mentally I was not. Emotionally, I was not. I wasn't locked up anywhere but I was totally isolated. So um, the answer was yes. And then that's where he would, you know, that's, that's where he capitalized and was like, okay, you're going to come with me. And so he drafted this elaborate plan to get me away from my support network, got to Dallas. And I used to say that when I got to Dallas, he turned into a complete monster. Now, further on in my journey, I'm understanding that actually he was always that way. But for me, I got a, like the blinders were starting to come off, right? The scales on my eyes were like starting to, I was getting a peek at what he was really like. So it was like, oh, wait, this person is like this. Um, but it was very drastic to me at that time. The way that I processed it, it was a very drastic change is how I processed it because I couldn't understand why he became violent. I couldn't understand why I was forced to do all these things because immediately, literally, it was like the, the night that we got there. I was given instructions to do X, Y, Z. Um, got to take pictures. You got to dress this way. And I was terrified um, because he did use a lot of violence. And so if we think about what trafficking is with force, fraud, and coercion, um, traffickers can use any one of those things or all three. So they can be, it can start off with coercion and then fraud. And when we got to Dallas, for me, it was forced because now he's violent. Um, and obviously it was not the business that I had anticipated, right? It was all a lie to just to try to get me away from my support network. Um, and I was just, that's that first night that we were there. It was like, I was, I already had, I already had dates set up. So he had already booked people to come, um, 
and I, I say rape, I don't know another term for it because if it's not a hundred percent, if it's not consensual, then it's, it's rape, right? No matter mm-hmm. if you're forced into saying it, coerced or whatever. Um, but traffickers are real good about making you feel like you're a part of the team that you're making choice. And so in that, a lot of, for me, in that, a lot of the decision-making, what I thought was decision-making was poor choices on my part. Like, how could I, how could I just let this man do this to me? Or how could I just do that? But it wasn't, it wasn't me. It was things that I was forced to do. Um, and like I said, he already had dates set up. So this plan was very elaborate. Um, and it just spiraled after that, you know, um, men would come to the room and I was forced to do things, sex acts. Um, and it's hard because I tell people all the time when I was out there, the trafficker was very scary. Yes. This person that I thought I was in love with flipped on me. Yes. But I still, because of the trauma bond and because of the coerced attachment that we had, he was like the only person that I trusted too. So for me, the scariness was not necessarily from him because I was numb to his behavior by then. By the time I got into it, I was numb to his behavior. Violence was, abuse was normal. Him talking down to me was normal. Like all that was numb to me. What was really scary though, and was really freaking me out was the people that were participating. So like the buyers, like I was, I was literally like in shock at like, oh my gosh, there's a car seat in the back seat of your car. You have a wedding ring on. You have military stripes like in your car. You have like badges. You have, I know that you, you have like a thing that says you're a pastor at your house. Like these are things that people don't want to talk about. So in a sense, when you're out there being victimized, think about it. You're seeing all this, all these things. So everything that I was taught and all the people that I was taught to trust, trust law enforcement, military is good, go to church, all these things. Now I'm seeing all these people that I was taught to trust as bad actors and violating me. So it's like, what is what was normal, right? So there, I had a very skewed view at what normal looked like while I was out there. Um, and awful things happened, right? Like I had guns pulled on me. I was gang raped. I was like everything, everything that you probably already heard <laughs> and yeah. probably could even imagine that could happen happened to me. There are things that I share publicly about my about my journey, and then there are things that. I don't share. Mm. And then there are things that I know for a fact I can't even remember because it was such a blur. I know for a fact that my my brain has blocked out certain things to the point where I can remember sense or like I'll see an image and it'll freak me out, but I don't know why I'm freaked out at that image or I don't need to know why I'm freaked out at that scent or that smell. So I know for a fact that my brain and God <laughs> literally are literally protecting me from some of the things that I went out there because there's, there were a lot of blackout moments, right? You know, you go to sleep somewhere, you wake up in another place or you, you're being transported to one place and then you're, you end up somewhere else. So there was, there was a lot of that, those nights too. So it was really horrible. Um, Like I said, uh, just, you kind of own it though, when you're out there, you're like, yeah, he's, he's making me do, you can't really discern like, 
is he making me do this or am I doing this? Like, is this my life or am I forced? So a lot of people, when you're out there, they don't call it trafficking. Like you don't think that you don't think that you're being trafficked because that's not even a term that anybody uses. They make it feel like you're, it's your decision. It makes you feel like it's your decision or you're mm-hmm. just trying to survive, right? It's mm-hmm. no, there's no title to any of this. It's just like, I'm out here trying to survive. I just want to make it to the next moment. I just want to make it to the next day. So in that moment, you're like, what do I need to do to make it to that next day? And whatever it takes is whatever it takes under the instruction or not. Right. So it's kind of like, that's how it was uh, for me. Um, And he had other, he had other people there. It wasn't just me. Um, When I arrived in Dallas, just to back up, when I arrived there, that's when I noticed that there were other people there, other women, other girls. Um, There were young girls. There were, you know, and I would often get in trouble meeting suffer violence, but I would often get in trouble for sending people away, um, sending some of his, what he would call his girls away uh, because they were like, we would confide in each other. And I'm like, well, you're young and you have a baby. You go, I'll stay, you know? Um, So even out there, you still are looking out for, you still have this compassion um, for other people because you think that it's, it's too late for you. You know what I'm saying? But I'm going to look out for someone else. If I can save someone else, then, you know, I will. So that I would, I think for me, that's what kept me going too, is looking out for other people. Um, while I was out there and that's what I do still today is look out for other people. I've never lost that because I believe that's the strength that kept me alive and that gave me hope. Yeah. You know, Listening to your story there, you know, and, and this is, you know, I've done the training from uh, Redeemed House and I've done uh, a lot of the listening now as, as I've started this journey to be a part of this fight. And and the themes that you just mentioned, boy, they're, they're, they're almost always there. There's the uh, the isolation, the uh, going after young women with vulnerabilities, going after um, you know, people that are lacking things in their life and, and, and pretending to fill that void. Right. And so that's, that's a lot of that is what's, what's happening. And, and, and the reason I reiterate that is because that's knowing that is prevention or I guess can help with prevention. It's like, okay, how do these guys or in females that are, that are actually doing this to young women and, and sometimes males as well, you know, it, it is a absolute, psychological warfare on these young women. It's not, I've said it in almost every episode, it's reiterated in every episode that I do here, uh, is that it's not a pull up in a van and throw a cover over your head and throw you in the back of the van and and, and do that. It's not. It was a year-long manipulation process. That isn't a, you know, as David Reed said, that that is not beneficial to these people. The benefit is to have, is to psychologically manipulate people into believing that they have no one else, they are the person there for, for them and there's no other life you can lead and 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 it works and and it's not a weakness in uh as a human being it, it can this could happen to almost anyone especially but it's really when people are in vulnerable parts of their lives and have had some trauma i, m- I remember you mentioned something with trauma i had not heard that word um i forgot what you said but you said trauma something um trauma course attachment or trauma bond 
Trauma bond. There yeah. You go. Trauma yeah. bond. I had not heard that word before. So uh, that was interesting to, to hear. And, and so, um, you know, you're, you're in this lifestyle now it's, it's happening now. Um, that happened. It seemed to be right at, right at what in early twenties for you. Mm-hmm. Is that, okay. Yeah. Um, uh, if you don't mind fast, fast forward to, um, I guess kind of the process of removing yourself from it. What, how, how were you, um, rescued or how did you fight your way out of it? And, and, and how long down the line was this? Yeah. So, um, if you remember, he proposed a plan of like, well, we're going to go for like a couple of months, three months really is what he said. Well, that Mm -hmm. turned into like almost a year of my life, um, of just being out there every single day, (laughs) like literally every single day, there was no rest. Um, but it came to a point where one of the individuals that was, also, that uh, he was also trafficking, had um, she got really sick, and to the point where he couldn't take it, like he couldn't handle her. And I knew that she had um, a good group of doctors in Houston because this sickness and this illness that she was dealing with was uh, something in her history, right? That she's mm-hmm. been battling for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I asked him if we could get her back to Houston and get her into the hospital where at least the doctors know her. And he said, yes. And he went for it because he was tired of dealing with her. Um, and he was like, okay, whatever. Cause this is really distracting our work. So we'll go get her into the hospital in Houston. And the reason why he agreed to the plan in Houston was because they actually shared a child together. So this person that was experiencing mm-hmm. trafficking, they actually shared a child together. So because this, trafficker this individual was two people not two he was multiple people but people did know him as the father and the family man they knew him as a business owner and they knew him as like you know they might have i'm sure if you're around people you you can sense that there's something that's off but nobody would just be like oh yeah not anybody because people knew but certain people the family people would probably never say oh yeah he's a pimp oh yeah he does this to women you know, they probably just thought he was a family guy with some sketchy business going on. Yeah. All that to say, if something was to happen to her or if we would have left her in Dallas and then all of a sudden the child's mom doesn't come back, that points a lot of fingers at him. Right. And now he's in now he's in big trouble. So I think that's why he actually went for the plan. Um, when we got back to Houston, got her into the hospital, which was an experience in itself because I walked into the hospital with her and with him and um, I was still able to leave with the trafficker, which is interesting, but that's another time for another show, you know, because mm-hmm. I had all the evidence of being a person that was in distress, mm-hmm. uh, but nobody, nobody helped me. I'm in a hospital and nobody like noticed. Um, so I did, we got her checked in. I left with him, but because we were back in Houston where things were familiar to me, um, neighborhoods, street signs, the false Kathy, the Kathy that I was out there, which I wasn't myself when I was out there because my survival, I had turned into a survival. It's like an alter ego to survive, yeah. um, to process that trauma. That person was confronted with the reality of like, Hey, this is your home. This is Houston. And so I was forced to, to like, Oh my gosh, like reality was scaring me. Um, and I was forced to deal with like, 
I was once in Houston. I belong in Houston. I have loved ones in Houston. What is happening right now? My whole normal for the last year had been this person. So now I'm confronting with reality. So I started to freak out, needless to say. Um, so I had some trauma. Some I was very activated mentally um, and emotionally to the point where I was so clingy to him, which is, sounds very weird, but that trauma bond is serious. Yeah. Because yes. I was because I was afraid of reality and I was taught and manipulated to fear people, I literally was like scared to not be with this person. It's like, oh my gosh, I can't I can't be normal without you. Like, how are they gonna look at me? To the point where he couldn't handle me either. <laughs> so he was very like, What is wrong with you? You're freaking out because I was literally having like a uh nervous breakdown is not the right is not the right clinical term, but it de definitely manifested in that way, right? And he was exhausted with dealing with the other person that he had just put in the hospital. By the time I started to get really activated, he was like, you need to call somebody to come pick you up um, because I'm not dealing with this tonight. I just want to go to sleep. I'll come pick you back up in the morning. So his plan was to let me call um, like a family member or whatever to come pick me up so I can spend the night. And then he was going to pick me up uh, the next morning. And honestly, I would have went and he knew it. That's why he felt so comfortable because um, family was no longer a threat to me, to him. He, he had already, did, you know, tore that down. Um, support, community was no longer a threat. He literally, I'm telling you, he literally had my entire oh. mind. So if he would have... I, I complied. I was like, okay, I'll see you tomorrow morning. But I was scared to go back. I was like, I don't want to leave you. Like, it's scary. I don't want to be with these these people. They don't know. And really, I'm, as I'm saying that internally, what I was really saying was there's no one. I was screaming inside. There's no one that's going to understand what I have been through. I am belittled. I am not worthy. I am. I don't fit in normal. I would rather die with you than to try to explain to society and family where I've been, Yeah. right? So yeah. that's really what I was trying to communicate. Um, and he let me go, but he underestimated the power of my support system because when he let me go, even though I would have gone back, my family did not let me go back. So I was brought to my, my brother came and picked me up from a hotel room and he played it really smooth too. Cause a lot of people were like, well, how did your, what did your, your brother didn't like beat him up or anything? No, he, he actually got on the phone with my brother and was like, Hey, something's wrong. I feel so concerned. And he played it so smooth. Um, like the caring, loving boyfriend, like, Hey, mm. I think he just wants to be with you. Like, you know, he, I mean, when I tell you that he's, he was an actor, he was an actor and most, and many of them are, they're like, they're psychologists and actors all in one. Um, so there was, so my brother and my sister-in-law didn't know what to think. They came and got me from the hotel and they were like, yeah, you're, she's really sick. Um, but there were no, at that time I didn't have like black eyes or anything like that. So I went and my mom, however, was like, you're severely, you're, I wasn't, I wasn't eating. I wasn't talking and I had lost a bunch of weight. And just from those three things, they were like, yeah, you're not going back. We don't know what happened to you. They couldn't see or find any bruises like on me. They couldn't see the physical scars, but they knew, yeah, something's not right. Again, because it's the simple fact that I wouldn't look them in the eye. I wouldn't um, 
talk to them. I was basically mute when I got back. And when I did talk, I lashed out like, why aren't you letting me go see him? Um, so literally he had, you know, there was a point where he was, I would say, go as far as to say that he had my, he had like my soul at, at, at a point, right. In some sense, because I was so tied to this, to this person. And over time, you know, he did try to come pick me up and he did try to, but they just wouldn't let him, they wouldn't let him see me. And the type of trafficker that he is, again, he, there's different types of traffickers. We heard about like what we see on TV, you know, the gorillas, we call them the gorilla traffickers who go kick down doors and they'll hold guns to your head and all those. Mm-hmm. There, are, there are those types of people, but then there are also traffickers that have to keep up an image. They ha- they cannot, they're not going to be the ones to kicking down doors because they can just go get another person to, to traffic. So they're, yeah. if you're, if it's a loss, then it's just a loss. Um, so that was the, my type of trafficker. Um, so he did try pretty persistently to persuade me to go and leave. But every time I tried, my family would block that. Um, and it just, over time, over time, I started, you know, time apart for him, I started thinking like, this is really, this hurts. You know, this thing that I call love for this person actually hurts. And when I was able to start processing that, I started processing like, what did I just, what did I just go through? Right. So it was a long journey for me. I would say uh, it sounds crazy, but seven years for me to actually like come to the trafficking language, like, Oh my gosh, I was sold like this. I, how did I get there? So it was a very long journey for me. And I think it was long for me because back then when this happened to me, early two thousands there, I wasn't aware of all the programs that exist now. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware that you're allowed to say, hey, I actually went through this and I don't think it was good for me, right? There, th- now you have support to say that. Um, but before, I just didn't want to be labeled as a prostitute. So I did. Well, a, a couple of things that uh, that you've said that's really struck me. And one, um, you know, you said, uh, you know, I don't know another word to call it except rape because if it's not completely um consensual it is rape and, and and it's i think some guys whether they knowingly do it or they uh don't are they trying to separate it have have come to the idea that you know and, and to me it's a lot of the massage parlors and, mm-hmm. and i and, and i tell guys you know they go in there oh it's funny it's almost like a rites of passage thing i was like no 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 these women are forced to be there and you are raping them and you are, you are contributing to human and sexual trafficking. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't leave. They don't want to do it and they're forced to be there. And so I, I'm glad you, I'm glad you said it that way because that the idea, the, the, the language behind and, and I'll say what it's, you know, what in, in society we call it, the, the rub and tug or the, 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 the happy ending massage places, that needs the whole aura behind it needs to change and, and, yeah. and it, it needs to change drastically because it's not, um, you know, it's not, it is rape and it, it, and you are contributing to it and you are part of the problem when you do that. And another thing, uh, that's, that kind of, uh, I guess really struck me, struck me what you were talking about. My first two interviews with survivors, um, were with people who had no support system. And it's really uh, interesting and and uh, enlightening to hear someone that, that it, it's such a sophisticated pr- uh, process that can happen to someone that actually did have people that cared about them, you know. And so that was, you know, 
they can separate people with a support system from their family as well as people without one. You know, it's much easier with the people without one. But obviously, when you're, you know, it's obviously done with people who have people who love them around them and have people who have their best interest in mind. It can still happen. And um, and and the, and the isolation of it is is really, to me, the key. I mean, just separating you from your family and and going to psychological warfare is just you know i've heard i know it i've heard the story and it's still just it's staggering to me when i hear it from people about about how sophisticated it is what these men do but uh seven years to um you say to come to terms with the trauma and, and to learn how to battle you know battle the trauma you know we learn in our training that trauma is not you don't rid yourself of that memory you don't rid yourself of that trauma you you you, you try to figure out how to live life with it and deal with it. Right. And, um, and so seven years, you, you learn to admit what it was to yourself and, 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 and to deal with the trauma. Is it that, is that that point where you said, okay, not only do I want to deal with this, I want to enter a life of fighting this. Yeah. My first, um, I, I've always been like, I've, I was, I've always loved to serve. Right. So, Mm -hmm. I was invited. Uh, was invited to come. I was invited to serve on an outreach uh, program, and I was told that it was like to help women. And I was like, "Oh yeah, that's my that's my jam. Like I want to help women." Um, and by then, I had already written. I had. I couldn't speak. What I couldn't like say what happened to me. So I was keeping a journal. And so Mm -hmm. that journal like became like a book and all that. Um, But I would like share with people, right? I wouldn't say, hey, this is what happened to you. I'd be like, hey, you sound like you're going through a similar situation. Read this journal. Um, And so this person that invited me to this outreach, she had read the book and um, she was like, yeah, I think you should come serve over here. And I was like, okay, cool. I like serving women. And it was in that orientation because there was an orientation before you go out and do outreach. And it was in that orientation that I was sitting there and I was like, oh, my God, there's a name to this. That's exactly what I've gone through. Right. And the person that invited me was like, yeah, this is that's why I wanted you to come. So that was like the first time. And I had two emotions. I was sad for my younger self and I was pissed. And those two emotions drove me into like this work that I do now, because I'm like, if I can help someone by just sharing what happened to me, um, then I want to do that. And then I learned that not only do I, not only is sharing what happened to me helpful, but actually providing the tools that I've learned um, and sharing those tools and connecting people to resources. I was like, yeah, if I'm if I can prevent it from happening to my younger self, and like, I think the image that I had in my head was all of those other girls um, that he was trafficking where are they now? Right. If I can help these people, um, then I'm going to do that. So I kind of feel like I was called to this work and this is, this is just what I'm supposed to do. I don't think it's the only thing that I'm supposed to do, but I definitely know that it's something that I am supposed to do. Did you find it helpful to know you were not alone in this? Like when you, yeah, I can imagine that when, you know, it's, uh, you know, I I suffered an illness last year for nine or 10 months that I didn't know what the illness was, but it was completely debilitating to me. And, uh, and and I'm not, trust me, I am not comparing these two things, but it was, 
when I, when it was finally after 10 or 11 months diagnosed correctly and I began to get treatment for it, it was so comforting to go online and read about these people. Same thing. And, and I can't, I can, and I thought about that when you said that I was like, I bet it was not relieving, but just, you know, great to hear that you were not alone. And there are people that will understand what happened to you that you could talk to. And, and, and I bet that was a pretty amazing thing for you, for you and your, your journey here. Oh, a hundred percent to, to feel like, because when you're isolated and you're in your own thoughts and you think that it's only you, yeah, there's no way to bounce back. Like you can't be normal with those thoughts, right? Because it's like, I literally cannot talk to anyone. Um, even my family who was, you know, loving and kind and all the stuff. I'm like, I would be out to dinner. And we're, everyone's laughing and talking and I'm screaming on the inside because y'all don't know what I've been through. Yeah. But when I'm in, but now, like when I'm in like a support group or leading a support group or sitting in with other individuals that have the same experience, I can literally just laugh and talk and know just by knowing that we all understand each other's journey. Mm-hmm. It just gives me such peace. Um, it just gives me such peace. Like, to know that we're not alone and, and that we can, we can use our voice now. You know, it was, um, I think, I, you know, the reason I, I decided to do this, you know, I've had this podcast for a while, but the reason I decided to do this was at your banquet event. Uh, and it was, it was just one singular moment where I'm sitting there and, and I'm looking across and I, and I see these ladies and they're full of life and they're, they're so happy with joy and I'm sitting there looking at them and, and I'm sitting there talking to an, a lady there. She goes, yeah, those ladies are survivors. And I was like, Oh my gosh, like that, that is incredible that they were able to come back into being who they are now. And, and, and if you listen to them, you know, they're both full of life and they're both succeeding, at, you know, in what are in the endeavors that they're doing as well as you. Uh, and I, and that was just an incredible feeling. I was like, you know what? <clears throat> the biggest, um, I think the biggest roadblock to fighting this thing is uh, is the enigma or stigma, not enigma, stigma of talking about it. And I've noticed that uh, since I've been involved and in trying to talk to people, you know, most people want to keep it surface level. They don't want to talk about uh, they don't want to get too much into talking about hurting young people. And I get that. And but it's got to happen. And so I try to make it as uh, as comfortable as it is. But it's nice. It, uh, that, but that's why I was wanting to you know, get you ladies stories out there and say, okay, look, these are people, these are real people. This happened. Here's how horrible it is. This is why you need to help. And this is why you need to be a part of the process. So you, uh, I want to uh, go back real quick. You wrote a journal that turned into a book. So uh, how did it turn into a book and what is that book called? It's called destined the unspoken revealed. So the way that I wrote that the way, when I was journaling uh, my experience, I would get physically sick. And I would have to stop. It took me so long to get it out. Um, and I think that that was just my long process of healing um, because I just couldn't believe what happened to me. So I started, I scrapped that and I was like, okay, maybe if I write a fictional story, because I've always loved writing. So I was like, how can I articulate this creatively to where I'm not saying, and you experienced this, Kathy, like in my journal. Um, so I just put names to it and then it just became this story. Um, it's very true, but it's, fictional characters and no names because, you know, just no names for safety reasons and things like that. Sure, sure. Um, and I gave it to someone. I self-published it. 
So like I, I wrote it out and I never read it again. So like when people read it, if they tell me, oh, there's a mistake in here. I'm like, I don't care. I would never fix it. I'll never edit it. I'll never do it again because that was my like, get it, get it out project. Mm-hmm. Um, and I put it on Amazon and people started reading it. And then I started getting um, emails and like messages of how powerful it was and how much healing it brought people themselves, yeah. right? So people that had gone through similar situations or, or similar types of trauma um, or trafficking specifically, they were like, oh my gosh, like, thank you for getting this out. And then it just, I realized like the power in it. I'm like, oh, this is amazing. You know, just sh- simply sharing can help someone um, for me. And it's not, you know, this is me not saying that, you know, everyone doesn't have to share because I just believe no one is obligated to share um, their personal experiences. However, for me and for from others that you've talked to, for us, it's kind of, it's our healing process. It's like, if I can get it out, I'm going to get it out. So yeah, that book is on Amazon. It's called Destined, The Unspoken Revealed. It's my first diary. Working on some more projects, but that one is special to me, will always be special to me no matter how many books I get out there because it was like, ugh, I just need to get it out. This is what happened. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's awesome. And so- um, you know, of all the things you do, you know, 1211 Partners is is how I met you. Um, how did you, um, I guess I'd like you to tell what 1211 Partners is, how it, you know, not not doesn't matter much how it came to fr- uh, fruition, but um, 1211 Partners, when was it started and what does it do? Yeah, 1211 Partners was founded in 2020 in the middle of the pandemic, which was wild, mm-hmm. uh, but it was needed. Uh, so I, since that first volunteer experience that I told you about, mm-hmm. I've just dove into the work. So I've had the honor of partnering with many organizations, working for organizations, um, going as far as like the federal level and working on the United States Council, the Human Trafficking Council, Survivor Council. Um, and from those experiences, I was able to see a, the full picture of like what the landscape is and what it looks like in combating trafficking. So 1211, um, we saw some gaps. Uh, so it wasn't to duplicate services or anything. It was literally we saw some gaps. And one of the gaps that we identified was that people were really struggling with uh, community, like the lack of community. So when individuals that experienced trafficking would go through programs, um, they graduate and it's like, yeah, you graduated this program, this 18 month program or whatever, go do life. Right. And it's like, it's like when you get a degree and it's like, okay, go do life. Or you get a high school diploma, go do life. And it's like, well, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> right? Like all the things that you've learned, no one's really showing you how to apply them. Um, and so, yeah, we got a bunch of people together, other, other overcomers together to say, you know, where, what's the problem? Um, especially with COVID, a lot of people are losing, losing jobs and going back into the lifestyle. So or, or they were severely at risk. So it's kind of like, well, what's happening? What, what's, what's going on? And the number one answer was lack of community. It wasn't just finances. It was lack of community. I don't have anybody. I don't have anyone that I can call to talk about parenting. I don't have anyone that I can call to talk about how this job sucks or how much I love it. Like I don't have anyone. Um, so, but that seems like that's you know, and I it, 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 just in the, just when this, in the topic we're discussing, lack of community is 
is is is a causing a lot of problems. Not just not just making young women vulnerable. It's everything. Young men are vulnerable now, and and the, you know, lack of community is to me maybe the greatest problem in our country right now. But yeah. you, you, I don't mean to interrupt you, but it's just when I, when you were sitting there saying it, I'm like, you know, I've been thinking about that too. Mm-hmm. How we used to have churches, and we used to, um, you know, people used to care about you. Yes. Uh, other people used to. Uh, would teach you things if they saw you, if they, you know what? And, and I told people <clears throat> a funny story is that, you know, I grew up in Georgia and in, in the eighties and in the nineties. And so other people's parents would discipline you, yes! not just your parents. Exactly. I, I remember, I remember, and I laughed so hard. Um, uh, it's the, uh, it's, you know, he's, he's fa- His son's famous now. It's, uh, it's Michael Hardman. He's, um, uh, He's a famous mm-hmm. football player now, and his I grew up with his father and uncle, and I'm in in a wonderful. The people Harvins are wonderful people, and his mother slapped the shit out of me one time. Yeah, when I was messing up uh, years ago, and my mom, you know her her response was not, uh, "How could you do this to my son?" It was, "What did you do?" Yeah, and so community was there a long time ago. Sorry, I didn't mean to throw you off on your story, but it just it really. That's a that's a that's a key cog for me right now is that whole is. global uh, our whole communities and getting back to that instead of somehow trying to survive off of this whole country collective you can't do it you got to be with your community you got to have you got to have resources to go to you got to have resources you got to mm-hmm. have community that we were not meant to do this life alone and considering that we're living in this like digital age now where we literally have no connection outside of like screens and monitors and like Mm -hmm. phones um community is is literally going away yeah you know what i'm saying so it's really hard um and so especially when you're you're overcoming or trying to overcome past trauma it's like okay Mm -hmm. how in the world because because we, we because of the lack of community in our in just the world right now, how then can I come to you and say, Hey, I actually overcame a really hard thing. It's called trafficking, but I really just need some help with navigating. Cause the first thing you're going to, you're not going to hear anything else. I say, you're going to hear trafficking. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. I can't believe, you know? And then, so nothing else I say of like, no, I'm actually just a person. Yeah. <laughs> like I still, you know, I still need to learn how to, I still want to go to school. I still have kids. I still like, I like, I like football. I like all the things, you know, um, I'm still a human, but when people hear trafficking, it's like, Oh, Oh my gosh. Don't get me wrong. I'm not downplaying it. Yeah. Yeah. Trafficking is horrible. Don't get me wrong. But what I really try to communicate is that it's people. This is a people problem. Mm -hmm. We are individuals. Everyone has some kind of trauma, right? Ours just happens to be trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some specialties that, you know, there are some unique needs that we, that trafficking overcomers need, um, and people that have survived trafficking need, but it's still a person, yeah. right? My need may be different than yours, but mm-hmm. you're still a person and I'm still a person. And I think we, you know, as a society, when we hear like the word trafficking or, you know, abused person, it's like now for some reason, and not intentionally, but we get like diminished and it's like as a as a human right um and so 1211 the meat of what we do the heartbeat of what we do is uh mentorship and really mentorship is just another way to say partnership mentorship is just the word that everyone understands Mm -hmm. but if i had a choice to call it it would just be partnerships so partnering with individuals who are also on their journey to overcoming um and 
what does that look like? Well, it's very individualized. What do you need? Some people um, do are in crisis and do need immediate shelter and all those things. But then other people just need business advice. Mm-hmm. Like I'm starting, a new, I'm launching a new business. Can you sh- tell you tell me how to run an LLC? Can you tell me how to do taxes so that I the IRS people don't come after me? Can you tell me how to do something? You know, I just want to be a citizen. How do I contribute as a normal? not just normal, but as a productive, successful, healthy citizen, like everyone else should be. I just want to be that. How do I get there? Um, So a lot of what we do in our partnerships, a lot of the conversations, um, again, we address crisis, of course, just because people are in need, real need. But then it's like showing them the ropes of like, hey, what are you passionate about? You want to write? Great. Let's figure out how you can become an author. You still need money. We still need a job and all the things. But like, you don't have anyone to process that with. Mm-hmm. So that's what that's what we try to provide. Do you part is it partnering people is it partnering survivors with re, re, survivors or is it mentors from the entire spectrum? So it's survivor led, but our mentors are from the entire spectrum. So the word that we the way that we have it now are mentor circles. Okay. So um, we have a peer partner, which is an individual that has experienced trafficking. This is one with lived experience who is in their healing journey and can ha- and has the capacity to walk alongside someone. But then we mm-hmm. also have in a, in that circle we have an ally um, partner, and that ally person is just hey, I don't have the trafficking experience, but I know how to do. You know, like I have, I know how to do taxes. I know, I know, I have skills that I can provide. I know how to plug it you into other resources because that's the whole thing, plugging people into other resources. Um, and then a part of that circle is the career partner. So the career path partner is focused on, okay, you want to start a business. This is what it's going to look like, or you want this job, right? As a manager, this is what you're going to have to do to get there. Um, you want your GED. This is what you're going to have to do to get there. So it's a very, everyone's kind of focused on their own thing. So the peer partner is focused on like, hey, I got you. I know the triggers. I get all of that. This is, you know, this is what worked for me. The ally is, hey, here's a network of support. Let's plug you into resources. And the career is like very focused. Those together. And then you have the person themselves. So the four people together working together in this partnership, not only does it build you an instant community of support. Mm -hmm. It also grows your community because we believe at 1211, like we don't want people to be dependent on us for the next five years. That would be foolish. How are we serving them? So we've got to introduce you to like, Jeff, we got to introduce you to like all the people so that when you're in need of something, you know who to call, not just 1211. You know what I mean? So Mm -hmm. now your support network is built. So that's, that's kind of how we roll. And that, that relationship is, is not a one way street. Uh, and, and it would, would ask that relationship, those relationships are good for everybody. Uh, they're good for people to help. I, and I, I guess I've always told people, if you're suffering from depression, go find someone to help. And, uh, but also now these people, um, these victims, these survivors now a good thing for them is to have people that, that depend on them as well, because helping people is so significant and being a, important to other people is significant uh, for anybody's personal development. And, and it sounds like what, what you're saying with uh, 1211 is that, Hey, you know, look, we're going to take these, these, these survivors, these survivors are just as talented. They're just as smart. Um, they have, they have passions as well. They have things they want to do. I wanted to write. I'm writing now. It took me, 40 years or took me to age 40 something to do it, mm-hmm. but I'm right. I'm doing my own writing now. And, and, um, it's saying, Hey, 
you miss the only thing you don't have is the guidance that other people got. So we're going to help you in with that guidance. And that to me is so, gosh, it's such a, how do I put this? I don't say empowering, but it just, it's so such a respectable way. It's just to, to help people. It doesn't, it doesn't, it, it empowers them and, and makes them not to be, feel like a victim. It's like, okay, I'm working with someone. I'm not some poor thing. Someone's carrying around every day, You're teaching them to, to, you know, that, you know, I don't need to teach you to walk. You just, I just need to hold, you hold your hand when you first start, you mm-hmm. already know how. And so that, that's what I, I like about, um, uh, you, you, your process there because you've got a real unique approach to it at 1211. And, you know, I think it works a lot. And, um, 1211 partners, um, <clears throat> how can someone find out information about that, read about it and, and how to help with 1211 partners? Yeah. 1211 is, um, you can go to our website, org. Mm-hmm. Um, so 12 spelled out 11, the number, Mm-hmm. So 1121211.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the information is there. We're also all over social media as well. 1211 on Instagram and on LinkedIn. Um, and you could just follow follow me and I'll tell you all the things. We are also, we, we're always looking for people to partner with um, specifically mm-hmm. because we have one goal through our mentorship, which is to develop leaders. Not mm-hmm. just survivor, not survivor leaders, but leaders. That's what I was, I was trying to say that it was, I don't know. I was trying to, I was trying to verbalize what it made me think when you said it, but yes, you're not, you're not trying to develop people, get people out of this and just be babies that are being held along the whole time. You're mm-hmm. opening the door, like helping them open the door and be who they were meant to be in the first place. hundred percent. Right? Yeah, oh, that's, that's great. That's our goal. <laughs> and where else uh, is there? Uh, where else can we find inform- uh, your book? You said you could uh, repeat the name one more time for me. Destined: The Unspoken Revealed. Okay, and that's on Amazon. They can is uh, yep. they can they can buy it on Amazon. And is there any other way uh, you know sites or information that you would like the viewers to be able to to, to look to for your information on you or anything else? Yeah, I mean, I'm on Instagram as Cat Givens, K A T Givens, mm-hmm. um, and usually that's a, I I. I post pretty much everything, all the happenings, right? And on LinkedIn mm-hmm. as well. So everything that 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 we're doing with 1211 or that I'm doing with public speaking or any kind of awareness projects that I'm in, I usually typically try to keep people um, updated with that mm-hmm. information. So that's an easy way to get plugged into. Okay, great. Well, Kathy, uh, you know, our time is uh, coming to an end. You've uh, given me an hour. And like I said, uh <clears throat> From the first moment I learned about you and, and met you, I was uh, blown away, impressed by who you are, uh, what you've overcome, and, and and what you're doing, and and to to look look at what uh, the impact you're making is remarkable. And you know, from society's point of view, thank you. You know, thank you so much for all you do. I'm honored that uh, that you let me help in some ways through Red M and other ways to help uh, 1211 partners and. I, th- I thank you for that as well, because it's been such a great experience for me to learn uh, from people uh, w- like you and, and, and to be trained by people like you and to be able to uh, be mentored by you. I can, you know, I know you probably don't consider yourself mentoring me, but, and, but you're going to, you just don't know it yet. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, David has been, obviously David Reed was my first, you know, mentor in this journey. So mm-hmm. I greatly appreciate your time. Thank you for sharing and, uh, and good luck going forward and all that I know you're going to be doing. Hey, thanks for your willingness to have the hard conversations. That's what Mm -hmm. I really appreciate. So thank you for having me.
All right. You have a good weekend and, and, and um, look forward to talking to you again. All right. All right. Bye. All right. So it's, it's off now. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show and accept the mission. Please subscribe to the Mission Zero podcast on your preferred streaming service and be sure to give us a five-star review.